Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. We're looking this term at Galatians chapter 5, 22 to 23, just on a couple of verses, but really uh, memorable verses and verses that I'm sure for many of us who've been around the church for any length of time, we'd know. Uh, the verse that includes uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit being these, these nine characteristics that we could say that God wants to grow in our lives and also that we, we should chase after to build into our lives as well. It's not a passive thing, but it's not something we do in our own strength as well. And for me, I view this list here, you've got them all in, in caps, um, as kind of goals really that, that I want in my life, and I encourage us all as Christians, we, we want to go towards, we want to be more like these uh, sort of things. And so we want to find ways then to get God's help in developing those things while also ordering our lives proactively to be more like this stuff. And today we're going to look at one of these. Uh, last week we looked at love. Uh, today we're looking at the next one, funnily enough. We're looking at joy. And all I really want to do in the next 25 minutes is to convince you that joy is something you want more of in your life. Okay, that could be a really easy job. It could be a difficult job. We'll see. I want to convince you of that. And then really just explain a little bit how, uh, with God's help, we can make that happen. That is the plan. Sound all right? Yeah, good. Fantastic. Good. If you'd said no, it wouldn't have made any difference. I'll just go on regardless. But anyway, um, let's ask the question. Then. I, I did a philosophy degree all those years ago at University of Birmingham. We were preaching. Jonathan was preaching at, on Ephesians, I think, at the time. Not judges, but uh, it was still good. Um, and so in philosophy, we like to define our terms. And so let's start by defining our term. What, may I ask, is joy? Well, joy is the most positive, surely, of all feelings. That, that, that's the kind of thing. It's, 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 it's positive. Everyone likes the idea of joy, I suppose, in one sense. But it is a feeling. It's not just a state of mind or a considered position. No, we feel it. And it's a feeling. We use other words for joy. Uh, a feeling of delight, potentially. Uh, it's often experienced, I, I think, as a kind of sudden rush of excitement or enthusiastic appreciation. I, I think it's fair to say that you know if you feel joy. And we all feel it on different occasions. And I want to just straight away bounce the question back to you. When did you last feel joy, do you think? Now, in about two minutes, we're going to do the, old turn, the awkward bit where you turn to the people next to you, and I want you to share with people next to you some recent occasions where you think, yes, I felt joy at that time. But while you're thinking, and to help you, I want to give you some examples for me. There's some things recently where I've felt joy. I felt joy uh, about two weeks ago in the mosh pit at black, this Black Midi gig I went to. Any Black Midi fans here? No, okay. Next week, I'll see if I can get the tech guys to play it. You will experience that joy. But that was great. I experienced joy every time they correct the pronunciation of Nicolaj's name in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. There's a couple more. No, that one, okay? That's joy I get with that. I experienced joy the other day. Here's a cute one. Walking to school with my youngest Rex, and he just stuck his hand into mine and held my hand as we walked along. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I wanted to stick that one in. He doesn't often do that, so that was joy. I experienced joy. Not so recent, this one. And as, you, as we go on, some joy can lead to pain, so just bear with me here. About a year ago, when I saw James Rodriguez play for my team Everton for the first couple of times... Like I said, we'll pray later. It's going to be okay. But I experienced joy then. I experienced joy chilling by the pool at a recent spa break with my wife, Jem. That was joy. I felt joy uh, at that time. 
But one of my favorite ever experiences of joy was not my own joy primarily. It was watching someone else's. And it was one of my children who will remain unnamed. But they were about five or six. And I felt it was time to introduce them to Star Wars Attack of the Clones. Right Now, if you're a Star Wars fan, you've probably got mixed feelings about that film. But for me, that film, there's lots of long expositional bits with Mopey Hayden Christensen in a field. Forget that. It's about one thing and one thing only. And that is when you find out why everyone thinks Yoda's so awesome. Okay? Everyone thinks he's awesome. Like, he's this feared Jedi. But he's just green and small and kind of wrinkly. What? What's the deal with him? But no, if you've seen this film, there's a bit at the end where he's there with his little crutch and he drops the crutch and he pulls out his lightsaber and he goes completely berserk. It's like Powerball Yoda. Like this. Now, it all worked exactly as planned, okay? My, my uh, child, who's remaining unnamed, was uh, on the arm of the sofa. I can remember they were standing there just wide-eyed. And they, as Yoda bounced around the screen, they bounced as well. They bounced like they were on a pogo stick, laughing like a total maniac. It was, it was brilliant. It was pure joy. That's when joy, when joy is in my head, that is where I go. Uh, <laughs> now, some of you uh, at this point, I can't see it physically happening, but you may well be kind of shaking your internal heads and thinking, no, Johnny, you've, you've misunderstood. You're talking about something different to joy. You're talking about happiness. Joy is much more profound. Joy is not about Yoda, and it's not about going to a gig. It's about something much more spiritual than that. And I can see, I think I probably would have thought very similarly in the past, actually. But the funny thing is, when you look at how the Bible treats this word, it doesn't use it like that at all. According to the Bible, there are not two types of joy. Joy in frivolous, silly things, and joy in deep, spiritual Jesus things. That's not how it goes. There's one type of joy, and it seems to be used quite like we'd use the word happiness. So, for example, uh, after the resurrection... Uh, the Bible tells us people felt joy when they heard that Jesus was risen from the dead. However, Jesus is also happy to talk about the joy of a mother at the birth of her child, obviously, uh, but also of someone finding a lost coin. Exactly the same word, just someone finding a lost coin that they'd lost. So it seems very everyday and humdrum, but it's still uh, joy. It's worth noting as well, actually, joy in the Bible isn't even always hugely worthwhile, actually. So in a very famous story Jesus told, the parable of the sower, there's, uh, where basically he's explaining how different people receive the word of God with an analogy of seed falling on the ground. There is one type of person who feels uh, joy. And uh, that person, if you know the story, is not the one who goes on to really kind of flourish in the faith. In fact, as, as we'll see uh, from what comes on the screen, they're the ones who where the seed falls on the, on the path. And they receive the word with joy, but then they lose heart, the roots don't grow, and they fall away from the faith very quickly. They still felt joy, but it didn't seem to have much of a, a lasting effect on them. Even more than this, okay, there are times in the Bible when people actually take joy in bad things. So in the book of Proverbs, uh, it talks about fools who take joy in their folly. Folly doesn't mean they're silly things. It means sinful things, things that offend God. And there are times, and I'm sure that all of us would know this, where we have actually taken joy, taken happiness in things that when we've reflected later, uh, is actually, no, those things weren't uh, good things. 
So yes, joy is not an end in itself, and it can be put in the wrong things, but the overwhelming picture in the Bible is that God does like joy and wants us to, wants us to feel joyful. God himself is joyful. He wants us to be joyful. And obviously today's passage would be an example of this because a fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits he wants to grow in our lives is joy. So with all of that said then, I think I've got us up to speed. Why don't you turn to the people around you? Just want to hear what joyful things, what joyful moments, what moments of happiness can you remember, say from the last year, okay? Two minutes, go for it. I hear the volume naturally decreasing. Anyone want to share any moments of joy with, with us that you're particularly proud of? Yeah, which particular bit, Nate? <laughs> yeah, in fact, no, you can't tell us that, can you? Yeah, so go for it. Oh. I'm with you. That Avengers has all sorts of joy moments in it for me, I think. It's the bit where Hulk smashes the uh, ship in the beginning of the first one. I'm always angry. Bang. Sorry. Anger is not a fruit of the Spirit. Sorry. Oh, no, let's, keep, let's keep on going. <laughs> Any others you, anyone wishes to share? Don't worry, I'm not going to embarrass you all. I think Nate's encapsulated joy fully with the Avengers. There we are. So, great. Hopefully we're all on the same kind of page uh, now with joy. But now, let's drill a little bit deeper. We said, what is joy? But let's ask this question. It's a question I've already kind of given a conclusion to, but I think I need to back this up. Is, is joy actually good? Let's, let's ask that question in a bit more detail. I mean, a minute ago, uh, you might have thought at the beginning of this talk, well, obviously joy is very profound and deep, so it's obviously good. And I've kind of made it a little bit more frivolous and happy. Well, is it even worth bothering with then? Is this something important for us at all? I think there's a deeper version of that objection, though, and for some of us would struggle uh, with a talk on joy, and you might even now be feeling that in, in your heart. And that's because someone could say this. They could say, look, the world is so messed up uh, at the moment that to be joyful is completely unempathetic. It's, completely, it's unempathetic or it's just not wise at all. We should be mourning weeping and repenting if we really know what's going on around us and we really care about anyone. I would certainly have, have some friends who, who, would, who would often push uh, in this direction. Uh, and I can kind of, I get it, you know. I don't know if that's where, where you'd be today. I mean, let's put it bluntly. How can we be joyful when the world is on the verge, it seems, of ecological meltdown, when our society is riddled with infighting and hatred, and major corporations are perfecting new ways to rob us of our humanity every day. Not to mention COVID. Just throw that one in at the end. How can we feel joyful without feeling bad about it? I think, I think this is a serious, a serious thought. I think this is, we need to consider this. And as in most things, a balance is needed here. As Christians, we are people who need to know how to lament as well as being able to know how to rejoice. So as, Roman, as Paul puts it in Romans, uh, we need to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And we see this, very helpfully, in the person of Jesus. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53 verse 3 that Jesus was a man of... Any takers? Sorrows. He was a man of sorrows. Jesus also... Uh, was a man of compassion, he was a man of frustration, and while he was not the Hulk, he could be the ma a man of anger at times as well, if you've read the story. He, was a, he wasn't a cartoon character, he isn't a cartoon character. Jesus showed a, a full gamut of human emotions. 
That's really important for us to see. But part of that was certainly sorrow. But while he had this full sort of 3D emotional life, it is also important to know that there was a bias in Jesus' emotional life in one direction. And I think we see it most helpfully in Mark chapter 2. And uh, if you've got a Bible, you're more than welcome to turn to it. I'm just going to pick out a couple of little bits for the next few minutes. In Mark 2, what you've got is Jesus has just called Levi to be one of his followers. And Levi is a a tax collector, a rich, rich, probably slightly corrupt guy, but called by Jesus to follow him. And Levi calls this um, uh, big party, and all his tax collector friends come. And they're having, and it it seems to descend into a little bit of a knees up. But Jesus is there with his disciples. And some of the religious teachers, kind of Jesus' critics, come to him, it seems, during the party, because they think, wait a minute, this is not, there's too much partying going on here. There's too much joy going on here for a religious leader. Jesus, you need to tone it down a bit. And he he says, uh, they say this to him, they say, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? In other words, they're saying proper religious people who take their religion and the the troubles of the world seriously, they're fasting and they're mourning and they're repenting in dust and ashes. They are not feasting and rejoicing, Jesus. Come on, sort yourself out, sort your disciples out. Jesus' response is this. He says, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Let's give that some some thought for a minute. What's he saying there? What's he he getting at? How is that a response to their their question? I think what, what Jesus is saying, and I think we can update this. We can't update it fully. We need to be careful with this contextualization. But I think we'd say something like this, is when you go on a stag do, you don't often, with one of your friends getting married, you don't often mourn and fast, do you? I don't know, I've not been on many, but that seems to be the impression. No, it's kind of eating, drinking, and making merry on a stag do with the, with the bridegroom, so to speak, or the bride. I think it would be the same in both, both ways. Jesus is really saying, I'm like a bridegroom at a stag party. Careful, not that type of stag party, okay? But I think the, the contextualization does hold generally. He said, look, I'm like that bridegroom. And when people are with me, the default position is joy and happiness, not mourning and fasting. The default position. Not the only position, but the default position. And yes, he says, as he mentions here, that one day the bridegroom will be taken away and then the disciples will fast. And this is obviously what happens. Jesus dies. And obviously on the Saturday, the Easter Saturday, the disciples mourn. They're devastated. Obviously, Jesus comes back, but even then, after that point, he goes back to heaven. And though the Holy Spirit is sent as the Spirit of Jesus to be with the disciples, still they would have mourned. They would have, they would have missed him. I think this is very true for us, too. There are, there are times for us, if you're anything like me, when Jesus feels incredibly close. He feels like he's with you all the time. But there are other times when Jesus feels distant and far away. And we're asking, where are you? Are you even there? Can anyone hear me when I'm, I'm praying? God, where are you? What are you? Why are you not answering the things I'm, I'm saying? I can't feel you here. And those times when God's, Jesus is far away, I think they're times of mourning. In fact, for me, those would be often the times when I would physically fast, where I go without food, because I don't like those occasions. And I want to live my life with Jesus right with me, shoulder to shoulder with him. So 
So when he's absent, it's a time of mourning. However, the flip side of this, of course, would be that when Jesus feels close, what is our default feeling? Well, it's joy. It's happiness. It's laughter. It's jumping on the arm of the sofa like a pogo stick. It's singing. It's whooping. It's partying. That is appropriate with Jesus. Joy is very appropriate for us as Christians. I'd say even in a world that seems to be going to hell at a terrifying speed. I just want to just say one, one more thing on this to make sure you don't hear me wrong. It's really important to see this in the context of what Rich spoke on last week. And if you weren't around, I, I, you can catch that up on our, our website. Because Rich's point last week was he looked at love uh, in the list uh, of the fruit of the Spirit. And his point, uh, which I would definitely concur with, is love is like the banner that f- pulls these together. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And if you wanted, you could li- put a little colon in there um, and then say love, fr- which is shown in all these others. So love is the fruit of the Spirit, and all the others are manifestations of love. And certainly, this would be the whole point of joy growing our lives would be to help us to live lives of increased love, which are lives that surely would help stop the world from going to hell at a terrifying speed. We're not meant to be like Nero laughing as Rome burns. No, we're meant to have this joy that leads to lives of love, that lives of service, lives that help. But with all that said, I think we must understand that we don't need to feel guilty for feeling joy. It is a fruit of the Spirit. God likes joy. So is joy good? I'd say yes. I think the Bible would agree. Final question then. But where should we put our joy? Let's put that slightly differently. What is the most appropriate object then of our joy? Where can we find the deepest kind of joy? As I've already said, there's, I think there's one type of joy in the Bible, but there are lots of different things we can put our joy in, and some of them are more worthwhile than others. But this doesn't contradict the fact that joy is good. I think it reinforces the fact. The Bible seems to paint to me that the, the picture that joy is so good that we want to live lives that have as much of it as we possibly can. And that means that the joys we're looking for, for have a longevity and a regularity to them. A regularity because we, we don't want just a joy every now and again here. And I remember 1975, it was joy on that. Oh, no, maybe my food went down the wrong way. Oh, no, there was that. No, we want joy regularly, don't we? Do you have me on that? Yeah. Yes, we definitely do. Okay, good. Establish that. We want it longevity of joy. Well, joy isn't just a fraction of a moment, but that lasts and spreads into our days and our weeks and our, our months. A fleeting moment of joy here and there in a life characterized by misery is not ideal. I'm sure we'd all agree. And for joy to be a fruit of the Spirit, it would would suggest, I think, that it's one of the things that should characterize us as it appeared to do for Jesus. It doesn't mean we're always super, super smiley and kind of never have any other emotions as regard like Jesus, but it should characterize us. We know it often, and when we do, it lasts a long time. And if we want to be joyful regularly... And in a long-lasting way, we need to take joy in things that, that will lead to more joy, not to kind of hangovers and regret and disappointment and emptiness. Now, there are some things, as I said, that we should never take joy in. Folly, sin, things that offend God. But even on the other things, and I've mentioned some of these already, there are, and I'll mention them again in a minute as well, there are things that we are free to enjoy and should enjoy. I don't know, creation. Culture, family, 
art, friends, sport, all of those things, we can enjoy them. We should enjoy them. But they shouldn't be the central pillars that our joy rests on because otherwise it's just going to be really fleeting. It's just going to disappear very, very quickly. Because those things can't sustain the regular, long-lasting joy that God wants for us. So where should we put our joy? I'm building this one up, but you all know the answer to this question, don't you? It's like, yes, we know where you're going, Johnny. Just wind it up. We've been to Sunday school. It's okay. Uh, The answer is Jesus. This is what the Bible would say. And again, you might think, okay, fair enough. Uh, let's, let's go with it. But I, I, I kind of guessed this was going to happen. Uh, but for you, it might, might be that you can't really see a necessary link between those two things, except for the fact that I am a Christian preacher speaking in a church. So obviously it was going to Jesus, okay? But there is a link. And I'll come to the link in a minute. But first I want to uh, just, expre- um, well, just show you a verse that I, I think just puts this into words so beautifully. It's one of my favorite verses uh, in the Bible, tells us this, and it's 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 8, where Peter is writing to this uh, group of churches in what, what is now modern Turkey, and he, uh, he, he says to them, he says that you, you, uh, you love him, that's Jesus is the him here, you love him, though you have never seen him. Though you don't see him now, you trust him, and here's the bit, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Just love that phrase, a glorious, inexpressible joy. We don't just want any old joy. Surely we want a glorious, inexpressible joy, a joy that can't even be fully expressed by bouncing on the arm of a sofa like a pogo stick, laughing like a maniac, like my unnamed child did all those years ago. I think that's what everyone's after. It's a joy that infuses our lives through and through, so we become uh, joyful people. But you're like, yeah, okay, fair enough. Like I said, you're a preacher, you're going to say that. The Bible's going to say that because it likes Jesus, doesn't it? But what is the link? Is it just like, as Christians, we just have to say that? Or is there a link? And I would argue, yes, there is a very, very clear link here. It's not just picked out of the blue. We just need to say that because we're Christians, because we're into Jesus. No, in Jesus' nature, he is someone who inspires the deepest kind of joy in us because he provides the things that make us joyful naturally. Let me just have a go for a couple of minutes at explaining, linking some of that stuff together. There's lots of stuff in here, but I think I can begin at least to explain that to you, whether you're a Christian here or you're not a Christian, to say at least why I think that this is a good link. This is a natural, uh, natural thing to put together. Jesus and joy go together in that way. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus is thoroughly good in every single way. He's never corrupted by the evil around him. He doesn't give in to tricks and temptations of the powers that be. He's good. And goodness is something that we rejoice in, isn't it? Goodness makes us happy. Do do you think you see something good? Does that make you happy? Yeah, some do. Some people, no, I like evil. (laughs) No, I'm I'm going with you the fact you were just just processing quietly. That's okay. To put it another way, let's put it in a different way. Um, Jesus is heroic. I don't know if you often think of Jesus in that way. It might sound like, again, like a, a Sunday school thing. Jesus is my superhero. He is a hero, though, and a very, very impressive one. And heroes make us happy. Heroes do make us happy, I presume. I'm not even going to ask you this one because there's an easy way we can tell this. Just go to Disney. Look at Disney and see what they've been doing for about the last 10 years. They've been buying every hero in the whole of our modern culture. Have you noticed this? Why? Why have they taken them all? Because they know that they make us happy. 
if you're a parent and you shop at Sainsbury's, you'll have cards of them all now as well. <laughs> These are everywhere in my house, flipping heck, and they've all got numbers and top trumps, and you find out which one's the best heroes, because they know. But it's not just our kids that heroes make happy, it's all of us. We all want someone to pin our hopes on. We all want someone to trust when everyone else proves untrustworthy. We want someone who is totally, uncorruptibly good. And Jesus is a hero who is good in that way. But he has layers to his goodness. And one of the layers, obviously, if on his top trump, it wouldn't be like power and I don't know, whatever the other things are on those funny heroes cards. But love would be the key one. His love is supreme. Jesus provides us with surely the most astonishing picture of love that has ever been seen in fact or in human-made fiction. Jesus dying on the cross, for those of us who are Christians any length of time, or anyone who's grown up in the Western world, that would be such a familiar image. But what you've got there is the supreme act of love. Someone who is dying in the most horrendous way for the very people who are killing him while calling for their forgiveness. That is an incredible and astonishing act of love. And love gives us joy. I will ask for a response here. Love makes you happy, doesn't it? Yes, it does. We're getting there. Mainly led by Dawn. That was, well, that was a kind of squeak. I liked it. It's good. Um, we're, we're getting there. Um, love makes us happy. But the, here's where it gets a bit even more interesting. Because God's love isn't, if you see someone who's like does a good deed or, I don't know, uh, is re- re- there's a nice act of kindness you view from afar, you know what, that might feel, make you feel a bit happy. You might think, oh, that's good. It's an ideal, ideal to kind of chase after great. But this, again, is fleeting. The thing about this love, of course, is not just there at an arm's length. Jesus isn't just offering thoughts and prayers from up in heaven, but can't be bothered to come down. Now he comes and he offers his goodness and his love directly towards us. It's a love that is unconditional and ongoing, and it's a love that makes a difference in our lives. Jesus' love gives us guidance through the fog of life, protection through the dangers of life, provision through the needs of life, and even power to overcome the challenges of life. And if that wasn't all enough, as you get to know Jesus, what you find out is he promises to us is, he says, and I'm going to make you a bit more like me too. In Jesus, we find strength. We have hope, and we can know change in our lives. We see a, a hero of all heroes who makes our hearts jump, and then he tells us, and you can be a bit more like me. Wow. I'd say even if you don't believe what I've just told you, surely you can understand why that could possibly be fuel for glorious, inexpressible joy. So I think it makes huge sense for Jesus to be the center of our joy. But to finish, I just want to be really clear on one other thing. When you make Jesus the center of your joy, it does not then negate all the other kinds of joy I've talked about. It makes them richer and deeper and more joyful. Again, another thing about Jesus, much more could be said on this, but I think I can explain it quickly, is Jesus is presented in the Bible. One of the words for him is he's the logos. And the logos was a Greek term for kind of the reason for everything. The, the center of all things, the heartbeat of the universe. Jesus presents himself as that thing. He is the center of everything. And so when we look to him for our joy and center our joy in him, it means actually that joy can radiate to all things around it because he occupies the space at the center. So if you're rejoicing in Jesus and have him at the center of your life, 
When you hear good music, for example, you can accept it with double joy for the joy from the music, but also joy as a gift from God. Thank Jesus for Black Midi. Thank you for Miles Davis. Thank Jesus for Aesop Rock and for Pearl Jam. That's how I listen to music. It's double joy. When I see a great TV show, I enjoy the jokes, I enjoy the plot, I enjoy all those things, but I enjoy them as a gift from him, the center of all things. The joy of Jesus spreads to everything around it. Thank Jesus for Jake Peralta, for Eleanor Shellstrop, for DS Steve Arnott, for Bojack Horseman. Thank you, Jesus. That's how I watch telly. It's a wonderful way to watch television. And when summer stretches into the whole of September, or when I fulfill my... Uh, to-do list on a Friday afternoon, or when a friend gets in touch to tell me that they like being my friend, you know what, that gives me joy, but also I can take it as double joy, as the overwhelming kindness of Jesus applied through common grace. It gives me double joy. And you know what, when the MOT costs a fortune, or when the shower leaks through the kitchen ceiling, or when my health crashes, or when people let me down, when I let other people down, or when life just basically sucks. You know what? It might take a slightly different form, but there can still be joy. Because in a world where Jesus is in it, and your joy is in him at the center, we can say with the Apostle Paul, and we rejoice in our sufferings. Because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Who's the Holy Spirit? Well, he's the same Holy Spirit who produces fruit in our lives. And one of those fruits is joy. And that's because actually the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And Jesus is the one who holds all things together. And when we place our joy in him, we can start to see goodness in more and more, even of the cracks in his broken world, and take joy in them. Can we stand? Uh, Ed, would you be able to, to come uh, up here? As regards kind of practical application of this message, I've, I've got two really, really quick things that I'd like you to take with you, but I think I'd like to do them now if, if you're able. Um, two things. What can we do as a result of this? Firstly, ask Jesus to produce more joy in our lives through his spirit. Okay. I think that just seems, it seems simple, but it seems like an appropriate response. If, if joy is good and we want it, and Jesus says he will do it, let's ask him for that. So it would be good to keep doing that as time goes on. We can do that in a minute as well. The second thing, uh, look to focus on Jesus more and more in your life. Spend time with him in different ways. It's, it's hard to focus your joy on Jesus if you're not focusing on Jesus. Uh, spend time in the Bible, push through in prayer. Keep following his instructions for your life. As a, as a church, just one thing we've developed lately has been our Zoom devotionals, 7.30 to 8 every morning. We would read the Bible together and pray together. Again, what, what are we doing there? We're recentering daily on Jesus and putting our joy on Jesus. We might start again in the evening again soon. We've paused that, but 7.30 to 8 every morning. If you find that hard to do on your own, come and join us. It's very straight, straightforward. This is a daily thing. It involves a recentering every day. I'd say re- recentering throughout the day regularly as time goes on. And so this is something to take with us. 
But I'd like to just end. Uh, Ed's going to lead us in a song. And uh, whether you want to sing along or just listen to what's been said and use it to reflect, I just really encourage you to just think again on Jesus. Focus again on Jesus. And as you do so, ask expectantly for more and more of his joy.